0: We're going to be reading from Revelation from chapter 21 and from chapter 22, certain verses that really relate to what we're going to be talking about. So let's take a look at Revelations 21, and we're going to be reading to verse 27, but through selected um, passages, and then uh, chapter 22 from 1 and to 5. And in the Spirit he carried me to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its lights, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. And the kingdoms of earth will bring glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehoods, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, on each side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, producing its fruits each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healings of the nation. Nothing accursed will ever be found there, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or nor sun, for the Lord of God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then I'm going to go and jump through to John chapter 14, reading from verse 23 to 29. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and this is what he says. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And he will come to them, and he will make their home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this, before it occurs, so that when it occurs, you may believe. The woman who I married, her name's Tracy, now... The one thing I love about her and that also drives me insane is that she gives away endings. She gives away endings of most things. There's been times where we're standing in the queue at a movie and I'm really stoked to go and watch something and then she will tell me the ending. And then suddenly I'm um, because uh, all excitement or joy or expectation just falls apart. She also does that sometimes during reality shows. She will go and see who won that that season of idols and then you look at this and you sort of have an idea that she knows and somehow it will come out and then the whole series of the idols is just like okay let's go through the motions she does that with master she does it with so you think you can dance And it used to drive me insane. But then I realized that there is part of me that actually doesn't like the drama. It doesn't like the uncertainty, the not knowing. So, I must say, God knew what he was doing when he brought her into my life. But... I don't like uncertainty, and I don't think many of us like uncertainty. We enjoy the rollercoaster of emotions when it comes to series and uh, books and movies, but ultimately, we don't really like it in our lives. Uncertainty is not something that we deal with well. That's also why I think I enjoy some of those movies where you know what's going to happen at the end. There's a movie called Invictus about the 1995 Rugby World Cup And at the end of that, because it is historical, I know who wins. And so, you know, although there's drama, although there's intrigue, although there's a little bit of, uh, you know, threads going through it, I know how it's going to end. And that brings me a lot of peace while I'm watching that movie. The same thing with the Titanic, I guess. There's always that dread and that worry because you know what happens at the end. The boat sinks, people die. But ultimately, you walk uh, through this movie without really having to worry too much because you know what's going to happen at the end. Now, both of these scriptures are about what happens at the end. One looks at what happens at the end of our life. Jesus, in John chapter 14, before this passage, says to his disciples, I need to leave you. I will return to my father. But once I am there, I will prepare a place for you, for my father's house has many rooms. And so i go to prepare one for you. And I will come back and I will bring you home. But then he also says that, you know, I have told you this so that you might have peace. I've told you that at the end of this life, you will have peace. At the end of this life, there is something bigger. At the end of this life, there is something sweeter. How do we know that? Well, the one thing that always brings me a sense of contentment and a sense of peace about death is that the one who could conquer death, the one who had victory over death, only raised two people from the death while he was ministering on this earth. So if he had the power over death and death was bad, then wouldn't he have been resurrecting people everywhere? But he didn't. Because he knew at the end of this life is was something sweeter, something greater, something victorious. So that gives me a lot of peace. Knowing that at the end of my life, it is not the end. It is just a bridge over to something better. And then Revelation says, not only at the end of your life is there something better, but at the end of this world, there is something glorious. So, Revelations chapter twenty-two really goes into this incredible imagery of God coming back, of going up onto the onto the mountain and seeing the holy city come down. And in the city, there is no darkness, there is no sin, there is no anything that is impure. And the only one who will be worshipped will be God. And I look forward to that day, and I know that that day will one day come. But the wonderful thing is that at the end of this earth those who stand up for injustice well it will perish those who try to do things for selfish gain well that will end and so it brings me a lot of hope to know that at the end of this life and at the end of this world god reigns jesus wins the spirit is there and we are victorious and so I hope that that brings you some kind of peace, some kind of contentment. And that's what Jesus says, I come to bring you a peace, not as the world gives. Because you know what? The world can give temporary peace and temporary uh, happiness and temporary contentment, but it cannot bring the permanent peace and contentment that we can feel when we know that God is victorious and that we can celebrate in God's victory right now and right here. So let's take a look at how this knowledge changes the way that we work, that changes the way that we live. Well, the first thing that changes is that we need to put the end at the beginning. We need to look at the end right now and live according to that. There is a philosopher who I've read of and I've heard a lot of what he has said And he has a coin that he keeps in his pocket. And on that pocket is inscribed the words, Memento Mori. Remember your death. Now, that sounds a bit somber, doesn't it? A little bit of, weird, a little bit dark. But the truth is that we need to remember our death. If you put it into the context of eternity, our life here is incredibly short. We only have a certain amount of days and we can only do a certain amount of things in the life that we have. And so if we remember our death, hopefully it puts in focus what we should be living for and how we should be embracing every single day, every single moment of our lives. And so memento mori means that we need to remember that at the end of this life, we need to have made an impact. And what do we leave behind once we've lived through this life? Now, death is not something to be feared, but it is something that gives us perspective into how we should live. The first thing that we can do as people who follow Christ is to pass that peace on. Now, often when we talk about passing the peace, in many Christian denominations, passing the peace is something that we do on a Sunday morning, where everyone stands up and we greet the person next to us. And uh, it's a lovely ritual that we go through, but that's not what I'm talking about. Passing the peace is so much deeper, so much more meaningful. I have the wonderful privilege of being able to stand at the hospital beds of many, many people, It's a very daunting and a very sacred and a very moving time where you get to work with the family who are at their lowest. Where fear is high, where doubt and questioning is uh, definitely part of the process. But the one thing that I am able to give them through the scriptures is some kind of peace. When we go through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He takes me beside still waters, he leads me into green pastures. And that wonderful phrase that says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That even when I pass through this world, that goodness and mercy will still be with me. We also get to talk about the Father's house that has many rooms and that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, that this is not the end, but there is something so much better on the other side, and that God will meet us there and that Jesus will take us by the hand from the moment that we leave this earth. There is something that gives us peace. There is something that brings perspective and is something that we can give to all of those who suffer. And so if you know that God is with us through this life and through the next, are we walking with people and passing the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace that only Jesus can give and the world can't? And so that is one of the blessings that we have when we minister to those, especially as they face that ultimate question of death and the life hereafter we know for certain what happens and so do we pass the peace on especially to those who perhaps don't have a faith or to those who often doubt them the second thing that i want to talk about when it comes to the end of this life is this incredible story of mountains so in revelations 22 and 21 um the writer john talks about being led up onto a high mountain and there as he is standing on the high mountain he sees the holy city of jerusalem coming down from heaven onto earth and it's always incredible because when you read the scriptures always take note of the mountains the mountains are significant because a lot happens on the mountains So just a couple of the mountains that are spoken about in uh, the scriptures. The one is where Abraham takes his son Isaac up onto a mountain. It is a life-changing moment for both Abraham and for Isaac. And then as Abraham is instructed to sacrifice his son, God provides. God provides an animal that can be slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice. And so Abraham knows that God is with him, that God tests him, but ultimately that God is with him. The other place is that Moses goes up onto the mountain in order to to really engage with God, to to, um, see God. I mean, that's an amazing moment. And also to receive the Ten Commandments, those commandments that give us life and that direct us and guide us in terms of how to live out our life in God. We also see that Jesus so often went up the mountain. Because it was there that he gained perspective, it was there that even though the crowds were were following him, even though he was popular, even though um, there was this momentum in his ministry, he realized that ultimately he needed he needed to be focused he needed to be listening very intently into god 's purpose and god 's plan. And so if he wasn't doing that, then the mission was not going to work. And so Jesus constantly goes up the mountain to gain perspective and to engage with God. The disciples, they go up the mountain to witness the transfiguration and the ascension. And so when we go up mountains, we discover God. We see God revealed and we get perspective. We, we go there and we are transformed and we are renewed and we have a new sense of focus. I don't know if any of you who's listening to this, if you climb mountains. Now, I'm lucky enough to live in a part of the world called Cape Town. And Cape Town has a wonderful mountain just around the corner. It's called Table Mountain. And part of our culture, really, and our communities and our societies is to definitely take walks up the mountain. Now, none of it is easy. This mountain is pretty steep, and so you need to know how to climb the mountain. You need to plan your route. You need to take the necessary supplies. It's going to take a lot of energy and a lot of time. Uh, And so walking up a mountain is something that requires, um, requires effort, it requires intention, it requires energy in order to do it. And so we can go up the mountain in two ways. The first one is voluntarily. Whenever we choose to go up the mountain, we are able to gain perspective. Now, Spiritually, what I want to talk about is there are certain spiritual disciplines that we have, certain things that we can do in order to journey up the mountain and gain perspective. Now, the one, the one spiritual discipline is obviously prayer, and prayer is not easy. It's hard. You need to stop. You need to humble yourself. You need to submit yourself to God. You need to be able to uh, think of others rather than yourself. You need to be uh, focused and intense in terms of bringing those things up to God. We need to reveal those parts of ourselves that we don't like, and we bring those to God. It's it's hard. It's an effort. It's It requires planning. Whenever we fast, Fasting is a Christian discipline where we, we choose not to eat during certain times so that we really can feel uh, firstly um, connected to God and secondly to those who don't have what we have. And so when we fast, it is tough, but it gains perspective and we are transformed. We are renewed through that experience. Whenever we are mentored by someone who we we love and who is there with us during this journey, it's hard. When they ask us difficult questions and they engage us in a way that we don't want to be engaged and when we have to wrestle with things that uh, make us uncomfortable, it's hard. So spiritual disciplines are one way of being able to walk up the mountain in order to gain perspective. The second way to climb mountains is the the journeys that we don't want to undertake. There are certain things in life that just happen. We lose a person that we love. We get ill. Someone who we love gets ill. We have um, financial issues. We have health issues. We have issues when we have a breakdown in relationship. We have issues with our family. And all of those kinds of things are very tough to go through. They, they're hard, and they can be very destructive. But ultimately, if we do it in such a way that we try and climb the mountain spiritually during these times, we too will land up at the top of the mountain. And so often during our hardest times, we gain perspective more than we could ever gain during our good times. And so sometimes when we stand on top of the mountain after all the bruises and battering, after the the pain and suffering, we can actually look down and see something that we never saw before. And maybe we can see where we came from and where we headed to and what that journey taught us. Those kinds of times are sacred. They're blessed. And there are times where we can take the lesson and learn and change and transform and see God in a new way. I love the story of Moses being taken up onto a mountain. Now, this man had slogged hard. His discipline and his dedication and his focus and the sacrifices and the times that he surrendered his will to God's was just absolutely incredible. And yet, he tells the people about the promised land, but he is never able to get there. And so, as he goes and he's led up to the top of Mount Nebo, he looks down into the promised land. And it says that God shows him all of the land that Israel is to take. So, either he had incredible vision at such an old age, or God did something supernatural at the top of that mountain. But he saw what his his sacrifices had bought for the new generation, what his life and the subtotal of his life had meant for the people that were coming in after him. And I pray that as we climb the mountain of our lives, when we come to the final summit before we leave this earth, that we too will see the promised land that we created for those coming in after us. Absolutely, it's normally our, our children. It's normally their children. But it's also for others that we have come across. It's about those, perhaps in our society, where we have had to fight battles in order for someone else to be able to move into the promised land. Whenever we are building the kingdom, what we are also doing is leading others into the promised land, into the, into the land that God had prepared for them. And so at the end of our lives, that is the legacy that we are to give, the legacy of the promised land for those who followed us. So what is your legacy? Do you live in such a way that there is a legacy? Because I can tell you that anything that you build out of selfish desire and not out of uh, the want to glorify God is going to wash away. But those things that are done out of of a relationship with God, out of the beauty and pureness, out of the righteousness of following God, in following in the footsteps of Christ, all of those things that we have done, they will open up paths to the promised land. Mm -hmm. Now, that's something that I found very, very sad here in South Africa. In South Africa, we've just come through a, a time where we've had elections. And at those elections, there was a lot of mudslinging. There was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of trying to divide people. There was a lot of sort of uh, ugliness and, and bitterness and uh, trying to put one over someone else. And never did I hear any of our leaders talk about what we could become. None of them spoke about where we could go, about the promised land that that we could be going into if we work together, if we follow in the paths of justice and mercy and grace and, and surrender and trying to work for each other. Now, the people that used to talk about that were called prophets. If you go to Revelations, and and you read what we've just read about the holy city coming down and that there is constant light and that uh, the, the, we don't need a temple because the Lamb and God will be there. It reminds us of the prophets. It reminds us of Isaiah and, and uh, Zechariah and Amos and um, Jeremiah and about the stories that they tell of what could happen if we choose to follow in the path of God none of our politicians said anything like that none of them gave us a vision of where we could go and that saddens me so much we had a glimpse of hope where at the swearing in of our parliament our chief justice got onto his knees to pray and he prayed for the country for three minutes and just that one symbolic thing told us that there is something better at the end of this. We need leaders. And we also need prophets. Prophets that take us back to the truth that is in the scriptures that says if we live in the law of God, if we live in the love and the grace of God, if we are building the kingdom of God, the vision, of the promised land will be not just put out there into the future, but we can start to realize it. We can start to see glimpses of it. We can start to feel the promised land rising up under our feet. And every time we hear about those people that have given up on their own selfish desires and started to grow people at the, at the bottom, And spend time with them and to serve them and to be able to take our riches and to build the people that are suffering. Whenever we hear that, the promised land is starting to rise up. Where are the leaders that are talking about the promised land? Well, it should start in the church. Are the churches the prophetic voice? Are we telling people that if we follow in God that we will start to see the paths that lead to the promised land. And so the wonderful thing is God triumphs. No matter what anything else does, no matter what, what any other leader does, if they want to divide, well, God has, is victorious and he will unite. When anyone else wants to put up walls to exclude, the kingdom of God includes. There is nothing... There is nothing that can separate the love of God from his people and from his earth. Not even death. Not even the end of this world. And so that gives us hope, that inspires us, and that gives us a peace that transcends all understanding that one day our death is not final and the end of the world is just the beginning of the coming of the kingdom of God. If that doesn't bring peace, nothing else on earth ever will. And so that's my challenge to everyone who's listening. May we become again the prophetic voice. And may we tell everyone around us about the peace that comes from knowing that our death is not the end and that the world will continue and that the kingdom will come down. And make sure that your life leaves a legacy where we can lead those who come behind us into the promised land. So that is my challenge to all of you who are listening. May God bless you this week. May his face shine down upon you. And may he give you peace. Amen.